What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the senior market analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mode. Mode is a trusted UK app that allows you to buy, earn, and grow Bitcoin all in one app. You can pay with Mode and receive up to 10% Bitcoin cash back from its growing list of online partner brands straight into your Mode wallet. I have to say, personally, I think the company behind this app is pretty damn impressive. They're FCA registered, they're listed on the LSE in the UK, and they're also listed on the OTCQB in the United States. They choose to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet as a publicly traded company, and they are piloting a Bitcoin payroll product to pay their UK employees in Bitcoin. To all my fellow UK friends, I recommend you go check out Mode right now. The app is available in the App Store and Google Play. You can download the app now to get started and make sure to check out the rewards tab on the app for the 30 plus brands you can earn Bitcoin cash back from. Go check them out at modeapp.com or go into the Google Play Store or the App Store and download the Mode app today. This episode is brought to you by Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new digital asset exchange built for institutions that delivers the innovations of DeFi in a regulated environment. The bullish hybrid order book pairs the high performance of a traditional central limit order book with the automated market making. Powered by deep bullish liquidity pools backed by the multi-billion dollar bullish treasury. So you can trade with certainty and at scale across variable market conditions. You can learn more at bullish.com or follow bullish on Twitter because the future belongs to the bullish. Now, this is not investment advice. Digital assets and cryptocurrencies are high risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit bullish.com slash legal for important information and risk warnings. Go check them out at bullish.com or follow at bullish on Twitter. Today's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. You all know I believe that the best investors both understand and seek out extreme asymmetry. Fundrise is here to help you do just that. It's the largest direct-to-investor real estate investment platform out there giving you the opportunity to achieve upside of an asset class previously reserved for institutions and high net worth individuals. That's right. Fundrise is making high-end private market real estate investing accessible to everyone via an easy-to-use automated platform. Its 1 million users already know that the investment with Fundrise is capable of producing strong appreciation returns and income generation while helping to stabilize a diversified portfolio. That's more important now than ever in our inflationary environment. See for yourself how over 190,000 other investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started with as little as $10. Go to fundrise.com slash pomp today. And for a limited time, you'll get $10 when you place your first investment. Again, that's fundrise.com slash pomp. Go check it out. And when you make your first investment, they'll give you $10 on top of it. Fundrise.com slash pomp. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. 
You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Let's get into uh, some of the charts that uh, you've got for us today. Uh, You've got the USDC and USDT circulating supply. So uh, this is Circles, uh, Stablecoin, and then Tether. Uh, the numbers just keep going up into the right, man. It's pretty impressive to see how fast this stuff's growing. What, what, why is this important? Yeah. So the past couple of weeks we talked about, you know, equity market correlations. We looked at on-chain stuff. We looked at derivative stuff. Um, so today I thought I'd just throw together some stuff about kind of the stablecoin market and, and how that's blossoming, um, just to cover something a little bit different, but, you know, an important part of this entire ecosystem. So, uh, you know, Circle, Tether, uh, the two leading stablecoin issuers, we see rumblings of, uh, CBDC talks, whether that's Congress or the uh, you know Fed governor saying, "Hey, we need a central bank digital currency." We're seeing what's happening in Canada with that you know aggressive overreach by government on people's uh, bank accounts and financial services. So all of this stuff is going to be uh, you know heavily debated over the coming years. And so um, you know, do you want to hold something like a stable coin that can be? you know, uh, like choke point by, uh, some, some central issuer. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to come to realize that their money isn't actually their money. So stable coins, um, they're actually serving a pretty big purpose in, in the world, in like, in this ecosystem. And no, it's not, uh, immutable decentralized money, like say Bitcoin is that's censorship resistant, seizure resistant. Uh, but what it does do is it allows dollars to kind of flow freely on crypto rails. So this next chart, uh, the circulating supply here is about 120 billion year over year. Uh, the growth is like 200%. It was about four, it was about $40 billion combined, uh, a year ago today. And so, um, over the last year, these two, uh, stable coins have done like $2 trillion, of transfer volume each, which is like, you know, like an order of magnitude, a couple orders of magnitude more than their actual market cap. So that they're actually like the, the circuit, the circulation rate or, or how fast these things are changing hands is actually remarkable. Uh, when you're thinking about this versus say dollars in the banking system. Uh, and so, you know, for the longest time, the crypto market didn't even have any stable coins. It's just like Bitcoin was your was your kind of your safe haven. And when the when these kind of local bubbles pop, you had nowhere to really run. And the on and off ramps were really, really tricky to use. Um, so now people, and you can debate, you know, how safe uh, some stable coins are or if their reserves are backed or not. And that's an entirely different discussion. Um, but a lot of these stable coins, and I think, you know, increasingly so, will just hold treasuries. And essentially they're just like, you know, U.S. dollars, treasuries uh, that can be changed hands in crypto markets in, you know, a couple seconds around the world. And so uh, in terms of innovation, uh, I don't know. I don't know. how It's, it's you know, another kind of database entry on a, on a you know, centralized ledger, and that's fine. But it's a lot better than, you know, say the, the legacy banking system and, and integration with the crypto markets today. So when you look at uh, these stable coin, like uh, we looked at both the circulating supply and the annual transfer volume, uh, is it your thought process that, just more and more the financial system is going to move over because these are superior rails to other dollar rails uh, and people who want that stable value, uh, as long as they can get comfortable with any perceived or real risks of what's backing it, auditing it, et cetera. Once they get comfortable with that, just the entire financial system will flow over into stables. Yeah. So, I mean, how I think about it is, and, and I focus on on Bitcoin, you know, with almost all my time, because I think it fixes or addresses one of the biggest problems in the world today. There's a $300, $400 trillion problem. And we've talked about that. It's a broken cost of capital, right? So if you have money in the bank account, you deposit with a bank, they actually lend your money out for you fractionally. They fractionally reserve your deposit and lend it out to other uh, debtors. 
but you don't get any of that yield. You don't get any of that upside, even though uh, they're lending it out on your behalf. Um, so, so that 0% yield you get in a 7% inflationary environment, uh, you, you know, you're not doing too well. But with, say, stable coins or in this kind of emerging crypto Bitcoin ecosystem, what you can do is you actually lend peer-to-peer. So say on FTX, a centralized you know, exchange, you can lend your dollars to someone else that's using margin or, you know, on say a DeFi protocol, right? You're putting, you're putting stable coins into a liquidity pool. And right, there's, there's a debate about, you know, what's the custodial risk? What's the, uh, the platform risk on a lot of these protocols um, is, you know, are they going to get hacked? Are there exploits? And that's something that people are finding out in real time. Like it, it's not risk-free in the sense that, you know, nobody, there's not the FDIC going to back you if you get hacked. Right. But what you can do is you can lend your stables out or you can borrow dollars at a, at a really a market rate, right? So sometimes that market rate in this ecosystem is 5%, sometimes it's 20%, but these markets are free and open. And these stable coins allow basically, you know, creditors, debtors, people that want to collateralize their assets and borrow or lend to someone else to do that at a rate that's decided by the market and not 12 guys sitting in a room saying the Fed's fund rate is going to be 0% again. And so I think that's the exciting thing about what's happening with, you know, kind of dollars on crypto rails. Yeah, it's wild that there's 12 people who make that decision, but that is the world that we live in today. Uh, you've got this <laughs> chart on stablecoin supply ratio. Explain what uh, what you're looking at here. Yeah, so this is just over the last couple of years, as stablecoins have become a bigger and bigger part of the market, this is uh, the stablecoin supply ratio is basically the Bitcoin market cap uh, divided by the stablecoin market cap. So right now, I just included USDT and USDC because they're the two biggest. But there's other uh, stablecoins out there. There's some kind of um, you know algorithmic stablecoins. So like they're collateralized with other assets and they're not actually backed by dollars in a bank account. There's all sorts of things. But basically, this is the aggregate stablecoin market cap as a percentage of the Bitcoin market cap. And what you can see is with this ratio falling. Uh, you know the buying power of these of the of this dry powder in the market relative to the Bitcoin market continues to get larger and larger. And so um, I have these kind of Bollinger bands on this on this supply ratio. And and when it gets to the upper band, it's basically that the Bitcoin market cap is uh, is is really big compared to the size of like the dry powder on the sidelines, stable coins. And when it hits that kind of lower threshold, it's, it's showing the opposite. It's saying that that dry powder is a pretty significant portion of this, this Bitcoin market cap. And so we're on one of those lower bands, uh, all that's showing. And we're honestly at like a near historic low in this supply ratio. So it's showing that the stablecoin dry powder on the sidelines, you know, 120 billion plus uh, relative to the Bitcoin market cap uh, is, is pretty substantial. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of people on the sidelines uh, that waiting to buy the dip. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably uh, going to be a good decision if we look at the historical uh, uh, perspective and what usually plays out. Uh, you've got Bitcoin futures open interest. Uh, why is this important? Yeah, so this is uh, the stablecoin margin uh, open interest, right? So with Bitcoin futures, um, you're basically you're entering a contract, and that contract's marked to market every second, um, and you can enter that contract with various sorts of collateral. And traditionally, uh, when these derivative markets first were spun up you were actually collateralized. If you were long Bitcoin, you were collateralizing that contract with Bitcoin or with another crypto asset, but mainly Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I guess sometimes, it, you, you know, you can do it with ETH, but traditionally it's, it's Bitcoin as, a, as collateral in these markets. And so now increasingly so, what you're seeing is stable coins um, as, as basically collateral in these derivative markets are becoming more and more prevalent. And so that, that actually is, is pretty good uh, in terms of risk profile for bulls. Because uh, when there's these downturns, these these big market crashes, 
uh, and your long Bitcoin <laughs> with Bitcoin as collateral, it gets pretty ugly. And that, that unwind is, is somewhat reflexive. Uh, your collateral is going down in value, your, your profit, your PL is going down. And so it, it may basically forces people to sell. <laughs> you know, it's these cascading liquidations that you see. And so stable coins uh, as collateral um, and kind of entering these derivative markets really uh, is it advantageous for, for uh, these traders. And I think that's why you're seeing it become more and more prevalent uh, over the last couple of years. All right. And then when we look at Bitcoin percent futures, open interest, crypto margin, this is kind of another variation of uh, a similar thing. Yeah. So this is just uh, the percentage of that. So with this, yep. with this chart declining over time right now, about 42% of the market is, is crypto margin. So if you can think of the, the inverse, 58% of this market is is uh, the futures open interest in Bitcoin, uh, which is you know a ten billion dollar plus market uh, is and I and I, on the futures open interest I quoted it in Bitcoin terms, so it it kind of you know does, like it uh, evens out that volatility, but fifty eight percent is stablecoin margin and compared to say thirty percent at the top of the market, so in the top in April you had basically seventy percent of the derivatives market they were taking their Bitcoin and they were longing Bitcoin with Bitcoin as collateral, right? So that's obviously not very sustainable. And we're seeing, you know, that trend actually uh, reverse big time. And so much more healthy state of the derivatives market. And, uh, you know, I, I expect that trend in, to continue into the future. Got it. And then when you look at this three month annualized rolling basis of Bitcoin futures, what are you seeing there? Seems just kind of have be just going down uh, since about November. Yeah. So we talked about this, uh, one of our episodes, uh, the podcast episodes we did where we talked about Bitcoin as a solution to the, the broken cost of capital. And we talked about, you know, how Bitcoin's a sparer asset, but the markets around Bitcoin uh, kind of are, are entrenching themselves as this new form of, or like almost risk-free cost of capital. So this futures uh, rolling basis, what you can do is you can sell futures and you can long the spot. And oftentimes, or most all the time, the futures, the front one month or three month futures is trading ahead of that spot market price. And so right now with this uh, metric at about 5%, you can capture about a 5% annualized yield by just selling the three month forward futures, longing spot and, and you're market neutral, but you're collecting that yield. And so uh, during times where the market's you know very speculative, bulls are very speculative, say in November of, of 2021, it was this was about at 20%. So you could capture a 20% annualized yield. At the top of the market in, in about April, you could get about a 45% uh, annualized return. And so this just kind of shows that speculative nature of the market. But increasingly, you see institutions coming in um, that really are, are market neutral. They're taking no upside or downside risk in Bitcoin, but they're collecting this, this, you know, this annualized return. And so this kind of basis, this risk-free yield, if you want to call it, it's, it's all throughout the crypto Bitcoin ecosystem, whether it's futures, whether it's perpetual futures, whether it's DeFi protocols or yields. Uh, basically, this, there's kind of this new uh, you know, cost of capital uh, that that's uh, completely like contrary to the the Wall Street Walled Garden legacy system where you know junk bonds are yielding you five percent before inflation before default risk uh, you know it's 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 almost like there's this new parallel system where people are saying nope this is actually the real cost of capital and I'm not parting with my money for for a negative yield. John, what questions you got? Dylan, how do you think about the different stablecoins and evaluating them? So if you want to put money into the stablecoin market and kind of collect those yields that a lot of companies offer, what do you choose between like USDC, USDT, Gemini, USD? Like, how do you think about that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the tether truthers have been uh, not proven wrong, but there's definitely some questionable things in the past about whether they're fully backed and the things that Bifinex and tether did. And there's a whole kind of rabbit hole you can go down with, with that about were they fully backed throughout time. But uh, I think, you know, the recent audits looked good, but I think the biggest thing is um, I would say probably USDC is, is the strongest uh, in terms of like, you know, the regulatory environment and, and having a proof of reserves, but uh, you know, if you are, say, a Tether truther and say that Tether, tether is fraud, uh, if you really believe that, well, there's a simple thing you can do. You can simply go into the market. You can short, you can borrow Tether and you can you can buy USDC. You can buy Bitcoin. You can buy any asset. And if, <laughs> if Tether turns out to be fraud, well, congrats, you shorted it. So, like, you know, I think a lot of it is, is more so talk when in reality, if you have this strong thesis, if you really believe that, uh, you know, some of these stable coins are fraudulent or not, well, you know, go out and short it because there's, you know, there's huge markets with billions of dollars to do this very thing. Dylan, when you start to look at uh, a lot of what's going on in Canada, obviously the Russia, Ukraine stuff, I've seen a number of headlines that are like, oh, people are selling their Bitcoin because Russia is going to invade Ukraine or, oh, people are buying Bitcoin because of uh, what's happening in Canada. Uh, one, like, how do you evaluate uh, what of that is true and what is not? And also two is, do you think that the geopolitical uh, movements globally have uh, that much impact on Bitcoin buying and selling market price, et cetera? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the the Canadian kind of uh, thing is uh, somewhat not unprecedented, but if you would have said a liberal democracy, first world country, you know, our, our friendly neighbors up north uh, would kind of turn to author- authoritarianism rather quickly uh, where, you know, anyone that is peacefully opposing uh, the kind of political party in power would have their bank accounts frozen, assets potentially seized, you know, credit cards turned off. Uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected that. So whereas Bitcoin was kind of this digital gold narrative, speculative asset, now it's, okay, wait, the the theories about censorship resistance uh, and, you know, being your own bank, it's not more, it's not a theory anymore. It's like, you know, it's happening in practice and we need we need money that can't be that can't be arbitrarily taken from us. And so I think a lot of people are waking up and saying, I, my money's not safe in the bank. Uh, you know, and they just, you know, people, average people that donated their money to peaceful protesters. This is not like, you know, this isn't like they're radical extremists at all. I mean, have you seen the videos? They're just waving flags and jumping around in bouncy houses. It's like rather peaceful. And so I think a lot of people are waking up to what's happening up North in terms of, you know, the geopolitical in- in- instability. Uh, I put out kind of a, a joke tweet yesterday about, you know, my, a thread about my uh, my observations on Ukraine and Russia and then said, like, I'm no expert. I have nothing to offer here. Um, I'll leave that to other people. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are trading this. And if you're looking at Bitcoin and equities trading tick for tick over the last couple of weeks, um, I think more so that's what's happening is that uh, the, the implications of what's happening in terms of currency markets, bonds, equities, um, there's ripple effects into the Bitcoin markets. And so, you know, if people are buying or selling Bitcoin because of what Putin said in his speech or not, I think that's more short-term noise. And, you know, the bull case for, for Bitcoin and, and why we need it in the world today uh, is never been stronger. And I think that's clear for anybody that's kind of paying attention to what's happening. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The other piece too that seems to uh, uh, be interesting development is we're seeing more and more politicians start to get into Bitcoin, stable coins, uh, crypto conversation in general. Uh, we've seen everything from politicians put forward uh, legislative ideas around, uh, hey, you will not be able to create a uh, central bank digital currency that doesn't meet these criteria that basically preserve the benefits of cash. There's people who have put forward at the state level uh, legal tender uh, legislation uh, 
for Bitcoin. Like, how do you think about politicians and their participation in some of this stuff now? Uh, is it just a foregone conclusion that they're all going to have to get on board or can some of them still fight it? Yeah, I mean, the Overton, the Overton window is shifting uh, rapidly, right? Uh, where, you know, it was kind of this niche thing uh, to support Bitcoin crypto uh, a couple of years back. And now it seems like it's totally shifting to where if you don't support this openly, uh, you're not going to stand a chance. And so, you know, the midterms are going to be really exciting. We talked about it, I think, a month or two back about, you know, how this incentive is, has changed pretty rapidly. Um, so I think that's going to be a kind of a trend this midterms and especially uh, in the 2024, you know, uh, presidential elections. Uh, a, a lot of stuff's going to be happening. It's pretty exciting. And I think uh, the incentives align. And this isn't just a U.S. thing. Uh, this isn't just a state level thing. This is a kind of a, a game theory that's playing out everywhere in the world, right? Where we see Bukele and El Salvador, uh, they're just the first domino. And so we're going to see a lot of exciting things happen that I think are going to catch a lot of people by surprise over the coming years. Got it. Before we let you go real quick, how are we looking on followers? <laughs> uh, not, not too, not too much growth here. I think not just, too much uh, growth. What's going on? Is the tw- the you been doing machine? threads or what? Yeah. Is the Twitter machine broken? <laughs> oh, you're at 125. You're, you're, uh, you've now hit like a nice round number there. Yeah. Not too bad. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up the, pick up the tweeting this, this, this week. It was taking a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. Just say, just, you know, there's a couple strategies you can deploy on Twitter. You can basically uh, say smart things. You can say dumb things, or you can say hot takes. And sometimes you could wrap all three of them in the same thread <laughs> and then you're viral. And next, you know, you got 200,000 followers. John, I saw you were getting ragged on for your podcast take the other day. Yeah. What, what was your podcast take? I said to replace music with podcasts. <laughs> oh, oh, like, like not I like think actually people took that. It. I think people took that out of context. I meant like on a road trip, like at the gym. Well, like, did you say it? No. <laughs> that's how Twitter works. That's how you get engagement. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Speaking, speaking of uh, music, uh, Kanye still has not dropped his album today. People are pissed. They bought a $230 piece of hardware that looks like he put it together in his garage. Uh, I, I love Kanye, but uh, people are pissed. And uh, we'll I'll, be, at, I'll be at the concert tonight. Yeah. Is it a concert? Launch party, viewership. Like, think about this. He's about, he's, to fill Lone, he's about to fill Lone Depot Park, <laughs> and people don't even know what they're going for. <laughs> they're like, ah, it's a 50-50 shot. Kanye shows up. 50-50 shot, we listen to new music. 50-50 shot, we listen to him just yell into a microphone about topics. That's what I said. But he I'll be there. Even, he may not even show up. Yeah, I mean, didn't he not show up to one of them <laughs> last time? I don't hey, know. whatever. Watch the documentary. He uh, he can do whatever he wants. He's good in my book. Uh, all right, Dylan. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. We'll do this again next Tuesday. All right, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.